Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan. We are coming to you on Tuesday, June 22nd, 2021. It is about 11.30 Central Time in Chicago, Illinois, and we are here to talk about a two-game series. The Cubs and Cleveland split two games at Wrigley Field, so Cleveland does take the season series, uh, but a good bit to talk about, even though it's only a couple games, still getting some of the injury news on some of the guys we're waiting to return, some good progress there, so hopefully we're we're seeing some familiar faces coming back in the near-ish future, maybe not immediate future, but near-ish future. Um, so, Brendan, you know, Monday, another ugly one for the offense. Uh, they do not score any runs against Cleveland pitching. Adbert returns uh, and was, you know, okay, gave up, uh, you know, some long balls in that one, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But then finally, uh, the the dam does break a little bit in the sixth inning there on Tuesday night. The Cubs putting up a four spot, stringing some hits together, kind of a, a big collective sigh of relief. So uh, a, a disappointing effort on Monday, but they come back with the win, heading into the off day as we get ready for uh, a real test of a road trip that's coming up for this team. The, the last game, the second game of that series, to see Kyle go out there and look like the ace that we need was huge, especially with Adler coming off that blister on Monday. So it was good to see Adler look healthy. The stuff looked good. The velo looked good. Spin rate looked good. He was getting checked out for some sticky substances, as was everyone else on the Cubs. But to see seven runs in the last game, Kyle looked good. Adler looked good. Split the series before going off to L.A. Overall, it could have been much worse, and I'm fine with it, Corey. Yeah, and you know, I think there's a couple ways to look at at least how things have gone in the recent past. One of them is to be disappointed that the Cubs have not capitalized on the NL Central also not winning, the Cardinals not winning, the Reds did win also on Tuesday, but doing mostly losing. The Brewers lost to the Diamondbacks on Monday, which is a a feat at this point with how bad Arizona has been. They look to be winning on Tuesday night, so everything should stay about the same. So you can look at it and say, yeah, it's disappointing that the Cubs have not capitalized on this. Had they been winning, uh, you know, more than they have been, they might have developed a little space between them and some of these teams in the NL Central. But even if Milwaukee wins and holds this score, they're up five to nothing as I record this again at 1130 Central in Chicago. So probably a win. Um, They'll be tied with the Cubs atop the NL Central. Cincinnati four back, St. Louis four and a half back. So for the Cubs, who were four and six in their last 10 games, you'll take that. You know, I think you're, again, you're a little disappointed that you're not able to capitalize on this because you'd certainly feel good if you had some distance between you and Milwaukee and, you know, Cincinnati and St. Louis were maybe closer to six or seven games back or something like that. But we knew this was going to be a tough month for the Cubs. We knew this was going to be a tough stretch. You still got guys that are out hurt and you're no worse for wear in terms of your position in the division. So I think all things considered, as we're nearing the end of this at least tough schedule uh, portion uh, of this discussion. I think you take it, Brendan. It's it's a fine place to be. You just have to get through this road trip. 
that's it to get back and healthy. But this is the type of stretch that if you survive, which they've been doing, this is the type of stretch that kind of, in my mind, propels you because on the calendar, they were more likely to struggle at this time. And to some degree, like more so lately, they kind of have, but earlier on, um, you know, sweeping those series against the Cardinals and, and performing well against all these difficult teams, it gives them room for error as they start to play weaker teams, but also it gives them the possibility that you can win more games and you can beat your projection because you survived the difficult stretch. Now, do they deserve to survive this stretch? It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter at all because they, they're doing it. Patrick Wisdom has 10 home runs. Alcantara had a nice ops field extra base hit. His overall value on the year is still really good for someone that we had no expectations to contribute. And that's what you have to hope for, right? To get healthy, to go into a weaker schedule after you get beyond this West trip and get some positive variance, I guess, if, if you will. And they're on track to do that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it just puts you in a position where, uh, you know, unless there is just some massive disaster that occurs on this uh, three series road trip that's coming up where you're losing a ton of games and Milwaukee is just on some heater, which again has not been the case over the last couple weeks here, you're going to find yourself in a position at the end of this long road trip right where you want to be which, you know, we'll see if that's mm-hmm. in sole possession of first place, tied still with Milwaukee. Even if you're behind them, the way that this is all played out, you shouldn't be too far behind if that is where you end up. And again, for all intents and purposes, they might find themselves still in first place, either by themselves or with somebody else. And like you just said, Brendan, when the schedule clears up, you hope to get guys back and things like that, that's a fine place to be. Again, I always go back to, uh, you know, it was a Jim Deshaies quote on the marquee broadcast, like right when uh, June started. And he said, you know, this is one of those points in, in a season where you look at the whole picture and you look at this month and you say, if we're still in first place at the end of this month, we're going to be feeling really, really good. So or even in the hunt too, right? Like that was my hope. That, right. You know, be within two, three right. games at least. And that's, and they're exceeding those expectations I set for myself. Right. And again, you know, we'll see how this road trip goes. It's, it's for a little sure. daunting looking on the schedule, but you should be in a position, uh, like I said, unless things get crazy where you are definitely right there, like right there within striking distance at the very least, right? And you're mm. going to take that, right? That that sounds great. Then you go on a run, you get healthy. Perfect. It sounds great. So at least for now, they have meandered through this stretch and found themselves exactly where you want to be. Um, maybe even Which, Corey, better. And, and, and before we go on here and, and recap this, like my, my feeling is I, I can't believe they're in this position. Like watching these games, watching the offense struggle, mm-hmm. watching Jake barely get through at times like four innings and the starting staff cannot get through the middle of the game. Right. And we're in first place. And all the injuries. And all yeah. the injuries and like the terrible months from the big guys in this lineup. It's like, how is this possible right, right now? So that that's that's why I'm thinking this this is this is what makes you beat those projections yeah. because you just get through this you know it's 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 likely it's likely that Chris Bryant gets better it's likely Wilson returns it's likely Javi's not you know this this bad per se in June and I feel good about the potential because of that. Yeah, I, I totally understand where, you know, people are, are seeing, you know, obviously save for Tuesday where the offense does uh, put up a seven spot. You know, I, I get it where people are like, oh, if we've seen this movie from the offense before, it looks like April again. They're inconsistent again, which you've seen in years. Like the rotation is struggling in, in so many respects. I get it. But we we knew that some of this was, was going to happen and we knew that this portion of the schedule was going to be hard and they're still in first place. So t- to me, and I think by the sound of it, you, Brendan, like that's a point of optimism, not a point of pessimism. For sure. So I again, sure. I get it. And, you know, of course, you need some of these things to turn around and guys get healthy and, you know, we'll see if they make additions, et cetera. But to be in this position, given all of this, I, is a point of optimism for me, not, not a point of pessimism like I, I yeah. see that it is uh, to some. They're in first place. 
you know? So like that, that's just what it is. <laughs> like they're in first Somehow. place and they have had a lot of stuff not go their way so far. And, you know, you figure at least a good portion of that is going to turn around. So, uh, and, and they still, listen, they still have problems too, right? Of course, a lot of the yeah. offensive problems have carried over from last year. We're not, we're not ignoring that, right? It's just that baseball is, is a, is a dumb sport. And sometimes for whatever reason, teams win with those limitations. And for, for me, it's just always going back to that bullpen. That bullpen has been a huge stable feature that I don't think any of us thought would would happen in terms of the multiple innings. So I think even with these issues that could could persist, I, I still think it's okay that baseball's stupid and they can somehow slide themselves into a playoff run. Weirdly enough, both of us are in an optimistic point uh, right I know, now. It's weird. So at the worst stretch, we're both optimistic. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's take a look at these couple games just sort of set the table. There's a good bit to talk about. Uh, Monday, it was a four to nothing. Cleveland win. Again, Albert Alzali getting back out there. He throws 69 pitches in four and two-thirds innings. Just three hits, three earned, one walk, five strikeouts. So those numbers all good. The problem, two of those three hits were home runs. So, uh, you know, that's uh, something that he's dealt with, and, you know, it just sort of uh, is what it is. But I think coming back dealing with the blister, getting back out there. I think this was a pretty good showing. And, you know, I wouldn't put too much stock in uh, his first outing back out there, um, you know, from a, a, you know, not lengthy, but, you know, lengthy-ish IL stint. So I think good to see him back out there. Uh, Brendan may have more for us in terms of Mm the stuff, but, you know, I think he already alluded to the stuff was good you know, getting whiffs, five strikeouts, the command was was pretty good for the most part. Missed some spots, obviously, with the home runs. Uh, but, you know, just the one walk, only three hits. I think it was a solid return for Alzali and just good to see him out there. You know, we've seen so many spot starts and, you know, guys have stepped up. But uh, Alzali has been one of the bright spots, especially in the games where he's been really good this year and, and just following his progression as as a guy kind of trying to make it into that upper echelon of starters and the top tier of, of the Cubs rotation. It's it's just good to have him back out there and be able to watch him. So uh, that was fun. The Cubs did not score any runs in this game. So I have no uh, report for you on how they got their runs. It was four to nothing. You guys don't care about Cleveland pitchers or anything like that. So that is what it is. Tuesday, though, 7-1, to one, the Cubs winning this one. Kyle Hendricks was really good in this one, his 10th win of the year. Kyle's racking up those Ws, uh, and we're not even at the All-Star break yet. So six innings, four hits, no earned, no walks, five strikeouts for Kyle. His ERA now looking more Hendricks-ish, right? It, it's taken a minute, but it's it's under four. It's now at 3.84, so not where you necessarily expect it to be uh, for him when the season is over, but... But uh, it, it, it was weird seeing such a, a high number next to, to his name. So we're kind of creeping back down to where things look a little more normal for him. 93 pitches. Uh, so Ross just choosing, you know, not to uh, push him back out there in the seventh. And it was the usual suspects there in Andrew Chafin, Ryan Tapera, and uh, Dan Winkler, though, getting in there because the Cubs, uh, Craig Kimbrell was warming up, but they scored enough runs that David Ross decided to sit him down. Tapera does give up a run in this one, so that ends the scoreless streak for not only Tapera, but uh, that trio, I guess, if you're looking at them together. Um, but uh, two hits, one walk. He does give up the one earned run, but he did do a very nice job of limiting the damage, especially pitching through the middle of that Cleveland order with guys like Jose Ramirez, who are always very dangerous. Uh, the bases were loaded. You know, the Cubs were up by five, but it was a little dicey there. So Tapera does end the scoreless streak, but he does a nice job to not let things get out of control keep things uh, within reason, and the Cubs get themselves a W. So the Cubs get their runs in this one. Chris Bryant, his 14th homer of the year, broke a scoreless tie in the bottom of the fourth inning. That was nice to see. KB had a nice game. He looked good, looked to be seeing the ball well. In the bottom of the sixth, this was the four spot that the Cubs put up. The inning started with a double from Sergio Alcantara, Rafael Ortega singled uh, to move uh, Alcantara to third, 
and then Jock Peterson ripped a double on the first pitch that he saw to the left center gap that brought home both of those fine gentlemen that made it three to nothing Javi then followed with a ground rule double that made it four to nothing Wilson Contreras followed with an RBI single to bring home Chris Bryant that made it five to nothing that would be it for that inning but then in the bottom of the eighth we get back-to-back jacks from Wilson Contreras, his 12th, and Patrick Wisdom, his 10th. That made it 7-1, to and that was all that she wrote. So seven runs, eight hits for the Cubs on Tuesday, and that was the series. So plenty to discuss here, but I want to start with some of the positives, uh, and you know I'll see if you have any thoughts on Alzali in a second here, Brendan, but I just want to start with Hendricks uh, and read this stat from friend of the podcast, MLB.com, Cubs.com's Jordan Bastion. Kyle Hendricks is 8-0 with a 2.25 ERA in his last eight starts. He has 40 strikeouts to seven walks in 52 innings pitched in that span. Uh, in that span of those eight starts, he came into that that stretch with a 6.23 ERA, obviously higher because of some of those outings earlier in the year. And as I mentioned before, it is now down to 3.84. So we know about Kyle, and certainly I, I can't even imagine how many times on this podcast, Brendan, you and I said, don't worry about Kyle Hendricks after the first couple starts. He'll be fine. He's Kyle Hendricks. We're not even going to entertain any of this because he's fine. But we we kept, you know, with the way the rotation is and the inconsistency in some spots and you've had some injuries, things like that, it... it it is so important that he has done this, right? He has uh, stepped up to that ace level and put the rotation on his back. And we know he's good. We knew he would do this, right? But it's still something he has to go out there and do and results that you have to ultimately get. And it, it cannot be overstated how important it is that Kyle has performed like this over this stretch because, you know, we, we talk about the stretch they're on and where they're at in the division. I don't even want to think about where they would be if Kyle were not oh pitching God. like this. He has been lights out for these last eight starts, and the team was in desperate need of it. He adapted, I think, pretty well. We, we were talking, I don't remember if it was few episodes ago maybe earlier on in june but there was some instances where a few people suggested he may have been tipping his pitches even bread at bleacher nation um hinted that others were talking about it uh on tuesday kyle threw 42 percent change-ups that's a lot of change-up of his 93 pitches as 39 change-ups I bring that up just because he typically sits around 20 to 25% per game. Again, 42%. That was the most of any of his pitches that he threw. And he only threw nine four-seam fastballs. He only he, he typically throws around 25% four-seam fastballs. So that's a trend that I'm like, huh, that's 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 interesting. And it reminded me of what Zach Davies does. Davies usually throws around 40 to 50% change-ups. And so I'm thinking, is this something new? Or is this more like uh, just a specific scouting report against Cleveland? Something to look for. Again, he had 39 change-ups, eight whiffs on those change-ups. And he keeps throwing that curve. He keeps throwing those sinkers up and in, both the lefties and righties. And not to harp on it too much, but like, Jake, like you looking at this man, you you see you see what Hendricks is doing over here with these sinkers up and in like crazy, and overall is we're lucky to have Kyle Hendricks at at the end of the day. And when we were discussing his struggles in you know early May, whenever that was, it, it was it was always in the context of it's just going to get better. And his velo was down earlier in those times. And as it's been the case for so many stretches throughout his career, that's just a marker of his mechanics. When his mechanics are off, his velo's down. It's just that simple. His velo goes up, his mechanics are better, everything plays off of that, he has better command. That's what we saw. Kyle Hendricks is your ace, he's your stability, he's been your stability since 2016 in those playoff games, 
And the Cubs are lucky to have that that stopper when we need him, especially to protect that bullpen court. In a closer game, uh, you know, I think he certainly could have gone back out there if the Cubs had needed him. And again, you know, not only is he getting the results in terms of, you know, the the earned runs and, and all that stuff, but he's been giving you consistent length, which of course is like the buzzword of this podcast and really just like this Cubs rotation. Uh, I'm sure you're hearing or reading that word elsewhere a lot. And Kyle's just been very consistent and they, they just needed it. I, you know, and, and I talked about this last time where it's like, you know, it's, it's, easy to say, like, they need a guy to do this, they need a guy to, you know, but it's it's not always easy for the guy to go out there and do that, and, you know, they're, sometimes they're not in the position to do that, or their mechanics are off, things like that, and it just doesn't work, but Kyle has been doing that, and so, you know, you go back to uh, his start on May 16th, against in in Detroit where he threw eight innings of one run baseball Kyle in that game eight innings and then following that six and two thirds seven six six and a third six 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 and all all of those games are quality starts he has not given up more than three earned runs in any of those starts he's not given up more than three earned runs dating back uh, to that May 9th outing against the Pirates so he has been dialed in he has been yeah. giving David Ross and Tommy Hadovy exactly what they need and in a lot of those you know there's a lot of six inning starts in there plenty of those you know the pitch count was not at a hundred pitches or over you know that he could have gone further if the Cubs needed to, but a lot of those game situations did did not dictate him needing to go back out there. But he has really stepped up. He has been really good. And, you know, Brendan, frankly, he makes, uh, and not that I I don't think we deserve any credit for this, because I think if you're on the other side, I think it's just weird. But Kyle does make podcast hosts who insisted in April, we're not going to talk about him. He's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't give it a second thought. By the midseason and the end of the season, he'll be Kyle Hendricks. Don't worry about it. He does make us look smart for saying that and, and believing that. Like I said, it's, I, I don't think you should ever be on the other side with Kyle, so it, it's not some genius revelation, but we just... He, he makes you look good for just believing in him and being calm and just trusting that he's going to figure it out at some point and there's not much to talk about. So um, anything that, you know, I know it's his first outing back there, so you don't want to put too much stock in it, but anything that you saw from Adbert, either good or bad, I mean, I know, you know, yeah. the two home runs, uh, not great, no, but, you know, altogether, that. you know, only 69 pitches, four and two thirds and three runs. If the offense were in a better place, you know, he he would have put the team in a position to win the game. So I, I thought it was a, a solid return for Adbert. I thought he was fine. It, the, the the home runs he gave up, one of them was on a perfectly located sinker, uh, down and away off the plate, and it was just hit out. It reminded me of what we talked about with Kyle a few episodes ago. Kyle gave up uh, a few homers, and one of them was on a perfectly located pitch. And it does remind you that even when you hit your spot and you're looking decent and your stuff is fine, these hitters are really good. And sometimes they just hit those pitches, and it's kind of a random thing. Adbert, for me, exceeded expectations on his first start out. I didn't think he would even go almost 70 pitches. I really thought he may go like 50 to 60 pitches. And he was efficient early on before he got a little misfortunate with some bad umpiring, as is the case every single day. These these umpires, by the way, 15 plus missed calls per game on average, 35,000. I always bring this up. It's just, it's, it's mind boggling. 35,000 missed calls per year. And we're talking about improving the game, everything, right? And you're coming off of a injury and in a middle part of the game and having these missed calls is elongating one of your premier pitchers in your sport to improve the game protect your players get rid of these umpires their eyes cannot catch any of these calls and fix it let's go get this whole sticky stuff is hilarious that's a mess man that's a mess it's it's still i i find it funny you have you have you know sergio ramos taking his pants off max scherzer taking his pants off it i I laugh at it but at the same time it's it's ridiculous that we're doing this and it's ironic that the people who are checking these players for sticky stuff are umpires who are contributing to a lot of their injuries and a lot 
out of the intention to have better grips and get yeah. more strikes because you're missing all these calls, man. So fix the sport. Get these umpires off the field. I'm sick of talking about it. I'm ranting a little bit, but it's just it, it aggravates me because as I was talking about this, Adber was efficient, and he got screwed on one of those walks, and he may have gone through the fifth inning and protected the bullpen. You have no idea how that game turns yeah. out. Anyway, point being, Adber's velo was perfectly average. Slider was on point. Command, of course, your first game back is not going to be perfect, right? Um, but overall, that that it was that's exactly what you want from Adber coming back. Yeah, I I would agree. And again, just you know, good to have him out there. It's it's one of the the more obviously you know as the team is winning and in first place, there's there's more storylines. But uh, you know, certainly just his development and his rise is has been uh, one of the things we were looking forward to most on the season. And it's just good to be able to dial back into that. It's it's fun to watch him pitch and and fun to watch the trajectory of his career. So. Let's switch uh, to the offense a little bit, but but where I want to start um, is the uh, David Ross taking Javi out of the game on Monday. So I we we don't necessarily have to relitigate this too much because the the most important thing for me, and I, I said this right when it happened. Um, my gut reaction, Brendan, was that I agreed with the call from David Ross. So. Uh, some some context for you. Uh, basically, Anthony Rizzo flew out to deep left field with one out. Javi was on first. He rounded second, headed toward third. The ball was caught in left field, and Javi didn't know how many outs there were. So he was doubled off at first, and uh, Sergio Alcantara immediately replaced him in the bottom half of the inning. So David Ross, or the top half of the next inning. So David Ross uh, pulled him right away. They had a clip on Marquee of the two having a conversation. Seemed fine. The The reason that I, I we don't have to get too deep into the weeds in the decision, I, I just want to make clear that the most important thing to me was the way that David Ross handled this. And I thought it was a good opportunity to check in again just on David Ross as a manager. Uh, Again, as we've talked about, he has not ever, you know, even managed a full season's worth, a full 162 games worth of baseball games at the the major league level. So we're still talking about someone who is, for all intents and purposes, even though it's his second season, a rookie manager. And so I think it's just good to check in on what he's doing, how he's doing it, and and what we think about it. Um, Now, in a situation like this, it's also important to remember they're in the clubhouse, we're not. We don't know the conversations they have about mistakes, about errors, um, you know, how Ross has had these discussions before, what the expectations are from him, if there's any internal, you know, call them consequences, punishments, things like that, um, you know, that's policed in internally, right, that we don't know about. So anytime something like this happens, you have to keep that in mind. Like, we don't know all that goes on behind those doors, and it's important to keep that context. But for me, I agreed with the decision. I was sitting there at the game at Wrigley Field, kind of like, Javi, what on earth? What are you doing? Um, and when I saw that he had been taken out, I was like, all right, good on Ross. Like the team's been a little sloppy lately. Um, you know, you had Rizzo getting picked off multiple times in the game. Uh, I think on Sunday, just some outs on the bases. I think they're back near the top of that leaderboard in terms of outs on the bases. So that's not good. So they've been a little sloppy. And so I thought, all right, you know, sometimes you have to make a, you know, take a stance, put your foot down a little bit, but what was really important to me, Brendan, and you can agree with the decision, you can disagree with the decision. I know there was a lot of discussion on on that point with Rizzo, like why does Javi get taken out today, but Rizzo got picked off twice in the same game and doesn't get taken out. Now, they're very different mistakes, getting picked off and forgetting how many outs there are, things like that. Um, but what was really important to me was how Ross handled it. He and Javi on the camera, on Marquee, had a very calm, quick conversation. Hey, you're coming out. You know, like your head's not in it, and we're going to take you out tonight. We'll see you back tomorrow. But the quotes after the game were really important to me, and I think you can draw a really stark contrast, uh, for example, between the way Ross handled this and something like Tony La Russa and Yermin Mercedes earlier in the year, right? 
where when you had that situation with La Russa and Mercedes, where Mercedes swung 3-0 against a position pitcher and blah, 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 La Russa threw him under the bus. He dogged him to the media. He, you know, talked, you know, he, he, he dogged his own player and talked down on his own player and, uh, you know, sort of really like picked him up and threw him directly under the bus and to the wolves, to the media. And that is not what Ross did here. And that was what really stood out to me, that Ross got with the media and just put it to bed really quickly. He was like, this isn't a big deal. Javi and I talked. He knows that, you know, he needs to be better than that. And we're just, you know, we're going to move on from that. We talked about it. We had a good conversation. It's over. And to me, I just really appreciated the way that Ross handled it. He made the decision. He felt convicted in the decision that, you know, he needed to pick a point to say, hey, we got to clean this stuff up. This isn't good enough. Your head's not in it tonight. We're going to take you out and we're going to bring in somebody whose head is in the game. But afterward, quick, it's not a big thing. We handled it. Here's the deal. And it's over. And Javi, in his quotes, reiterated the same thing, you know, said, it's my bad. I take responsibility for it. I was surprised to be taken out, but I understand Ross's decision. I respect his decision, and we moved on. And so I just really appreciated that. And and for, you know, kind of a, you know, I, I know that Ross had taken Schwarber out uh, in a game last year, um, but I, I know, so I know it's not the first time that he did it, but just looking at these situations as they come up, I appreciated how Ross handled it. Whether you agree with the choice or not, I think it's it's a good sign that Ross can make decisions like this, and it's not some big thing, right? It's just right. he his head wasn't in it. It's a mistake that they can't really tolerate, especially with how the offense has been going, how many mistakes they've been making on the bases. And everybody's on the same page. They move on. Javi was back in there in the lineup on Tuesday. Everybody's good, and we all move on. Yeah, I I, I, lo- I love how Ross handles the media in, in general. I even thought Theo at times just spoke a little bit, maybe too much to the media, and and for better or for worse, kind of made narratives because of that for for Ross and it could be because he has media experience after the Cubs won the World Series uh, with ESPN and and Sunday Night Baseball and Baseball Tonight and all that but uh, I I think he handled it perfectly when it comes to the decision there's some gray area in there for me where I don't have a good feel if that was like the right decision if the intention from Ross is to take Javi out, to teach a lesson. And by lesson, the intention is, I don't want this to happen again because that's hurting your team. When you cost your team outs, it, it hurts the team. I, I get that. At the same time, like Javi, that's never happened to him before. The, the, the probability Javi does that again on the base paths in 2021 is like 0.0001%. So I think him getting out of the game I don't think is really going to do anything from a tangible like winning sense so I I didn't like that if that was the intention and there were points in the game especially in the seventh and the eighth inning when you had some some rallies like oh you know especially in that eighth where it's like oh I wish Javi was up in the situation we kind of need a home run right now and he wasn't there so if the intention for ross is indeed that where you're like all right teach him a lesson so it doesn't happen again well it's probably not going to happen again anyway so deal with it and discipline and make a point of it out of it beyond just like making the team actively worse for that game now the gray area for me Corey, and you brought this up and friend of the podcast jordan bashan brought this up uh just previously before he made that base running gaffe he forgot to lead off yeah like the pitch was thrown and he just did not lead off so there was actually two mistakes that Javi uh, that Javi made. It wasn't just a base running blunder where he got tagged up and forgot the number of outs. Uh, he made he made two mistakes. That was weird. Javi never does it. Javi's in the game. He's looking around. He's looking at the outfielders. He's wondering where is the inefficiency. Where is the hole in this team where I can sprint around the bases? Right. That's who Javi is. So maybe something was just offering yeah. that day. Maybe you know personal stuff. Who knows? Right. And maybe the conversation was Javi. I know you're dealing with this. Let's just you know this go 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 relax. Right. We'll see you tomorrow. 
take 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 the night off. And if that's the case, absolutely, that's what your manager wants you to do to understand the context beyond just baseball. So that's the gray area for me. I think overall, it's not a big deal. It's over. Uh, we're not going to hear about it probably ever again, and that will be the end of it. And it reminds me too, a few weeks ago when Wilson and Rizzo kind of got into that scuffle in the in the dugout, who was there to kind of break it up? It was it was manager David Ross, and that was it. The media didn't make a big deal out of it. The quotes from everyone involved was perfect. And for me, I want to limit the drama, limit the the narratives as much as possible. Yeah. And Ross has done. I mean, A plus when it comes to that. Yeah, I, I just think, you know, and again, we, we don't know all that goes on in the clubhouse and stuff, but I think, you know, and it, it, it's a good point that you brought up the, the little spat with Rizzo and Contreras. I just think it's it's a good sign when you're sitting on the outside like we are trying to get a feel for these things. When, when you're thinking like, okay, how do, you know how is David Ross doing? Like, how does the clubhouse feel about him? Does he have control of things, things like that? I think it's a really good sign from our perspective where sometimes this stuff pops up. It seems to get handled really quickly. He does not make a thing of it in the media. They seem to do a good job of keeping a lot of this stuff in-house and even the details of it in-house. You know, David Ross didn't go on to some diatribe about why he (laughs) took Javi out, right? It was a very quick thing. Like, here, here's what happened. We talked, moved on. I'm not going to tell you every detail of what we talked about or even specifically, you know, in great detail why I took him out, right? We handled it. It's over. And then, you know, you see them the next day. Everybody's getting along. They're back playing. Everybody seems to be ready to They're come to work and, and do their thing. And so we, we can't really... Uh, know this stuff for sure because we're not in the clubhouse and we're not these players. I'm not Javi Baez. I can't tell you how he he felt about that, right, and how he feels about David Ross. But just from the stuff that we have available, visually, you know, body language type stuff, and and just you know coming in and looking at how they did on Tuesday, it, it all feels very good. It all feels very under control, and like David Ross has a good grasp on this team and and how to handle this team and how to manage this team. And, you know, of course, that was one of uh, not our concerns, but people's concerns when he was named the manager was, okay, he's played with these guys. He's friends with these guys. How's some of this stuff going to go? And, you know, even dating back to last year, it's been a non-issue, right? He's been able to make tough decisions. He's taken, you know, he took John Lester out of games whenever he felt like it. He's taken Jake Arrieta out of games in the third inning. He's taken Javi Baez out mid-game. He's dealt with little arguments and little spats in the dugout, and he seems to have a real handle on this. Like, from where we're sitting, he seems to do and say all the right things, and and as a closing thought, like I said, most importantly to me, he does not let this stuff spill into the media. Whatever is being said, whatever is being discussed, is being handled amongst them in the clubhouse, and he gives a little bit to the media to appease them and and have them understand, you know, a little bit of what's going on, but we're not getting any players being thrown under the bus. We're not getting any details that we, the public, do not need, and I think that's a credit to David Ross. Yeah, and also, too, I think, uh, you know, kudos to some of the Chicago media. I know, you know, Ross from the Sun-Times has covered the team exceptionally well. Uh, the Athletic, they do a great job. I, you know, I have Jesse Rogers' blocks. I don't see his content anymore, but I haven't heard anything ridiculous from him. I don't even know if he covers a team anymore, to be honest with you. But uh, it feels like this year, there's just there's just like less drama involved than in years past and like, you know, all those bad takes and overblown narratives and whatnot. So it's just, you know, throwing a bone to the Chicago media. And they're, Most they're doing, of the Chicago I, media. Does Jesse Rogers still even follow, like, cover the I don't team? Know. I'm being I blocked serious. him on Twitter. I don't yeah, know. We don't, maybe maybe, maybe it's just my like, special. Most, yeah. like, Jordan Bastion, Russ Dorsey, yeah, Jordan Bracky. There's, there's some great folks uh, out yeah. there. There's also some very bad, <laughs> some very bad yeah. folks. But, like, those guys, too, and, you know, not to harp on it too much, but, like, th- those guys, they, they cover the team and they, they ask questions that are baseball focused, yeah. man. And it's, it's, you can tell, too, when, like, Ross talks to them or the interviews happen, like, there's a mutual understanding of what's going on and from our point of view i I've, I've, i mean I'm, I'm learning so much about like you know like kb and, and uh and tony's 
relationship from Russ and Jordan always ask good questions about pitch types and Sahadev, you know, all the data dives. Like, this is a good group. So, I don't know, again, I don't know if Jesse's following the team and, you know, Gordo was asking Starlin Castro if he had ADHD right. seven years ago. So, uh, this is this is a refreshing twist, but it could just be my specially curated Twitter timeline. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Gordo with uh, NBC Chicago. I do want to mention uh, Maddie Lee, another another name. I mentioned some some of the good ones. Maddie Lee is part yeah. of the uh, NBC. Oh, Tony Androcki, too, is doing good work. Yeah. Yeah, um, so there, there's there's some good folks, uh, some some good guys and gals out there on the Cubs beat. So um, let's talk offense, though. So okay. I, I think one of the most important things we saw on Tuesday was the game from Chris Bryant. He hits the home run. Uh, he almost hit another one uh, going the opposite way to right field that just didn't carry enough. So he ends up on the night one for three, uh, also took a walk, but just looked like he was seeing the ball well. We've talked a little bit how, you know, he's he's told a lot of outlets that, uh, you know, pitchers just stopped coming into the zone with him. And, and, and it was on him, obviously, to make adjustments and be patient and do the work to kind of force pitchers back in the zone. But uh, you know, a lot of the games just didn't look great. You know, when you looked at the stats and saw that he was slumping, visually it looked that way, right? And Tuesday's just one game. You know, they have the off day. We'll see what happens on this road trip. But he looked really dialed in, looked to be seeing the ball well, and of course, you know, got a pitch to drive into the stands and and did so. So I think that was uh, really important to see on Tuesday night from Chris. Whatever Chris is is going through right now, he's typically ahead of the curve. No, no, no pun intended, but it's it's true. He's typically adapting before pitchers adapt. And we talked with his hitting coach and father, Mike Bryant, a few times over the years. And one of their goals, dating back to years ago, was trying to combat high up and in fastballs. And this year, he's done that ex- exceptionally well. Uh, re- lately, though, it could just be a competition thing coupled with the random thing, coupled with uh, he got hit on the hand and just missing a little bit of time, even like, you know, a game or two games. That could have an effect on some of these players and their timing and whatnot. So this could just be a random structure and a random slump. And when we watch Chris play, and especially in that Tuesday game, it kind of makes you believe that's the case. He had that home run to left field, just a, a laser to left field. And then later in the game, as you just said there, Corey, he almost went yard again, this time to the opposite field off of fastball, he's also spitting on sliders down and away throughout the night. And so that's more so important to me, uh, it, as weird as that sounds, is just how they look taking those types of pitches. If you're spitting on those sliders down and away, not even flinching at it, that means you're seeing the ball well. And tonight, he, he saw the ball well. And when he was not spitting on those sliders, he was hitting home runs or close to hitting home runs. I don't have any worries with Chris. It's just a matter of him being healthy and having that uh, that brain of his adapt because it always does. Uh, just stay healthy. Don't don't throw up and in to KB, please. Uh, I don't know if we're facing Pittsburgh anytime soon, but whenever we face Pittsburgh, I'm worried they're going to be throwing up into fastballs as they usually do because all their pitchers suck and they can't locate and all they do is throw up and into these guys. But outside of those concerns, there are none for, for, for me right now with Chris Bryant. Then again, there could be different adjustments these pitchers make, but usually Chris is ahead of those adjustments as he's been all year. It's just a matter of time for him to start going off. Michael Sarami, friend of the podcast, wrote a good piece over at BleacherNation.com this morning. So th- these don't these numbers don't include Tuesday night's game, uh, but just looking at the Cubs offense in the month of June, because obviously it's been a rough stretch here. And again, not including Tuesday, so you can remember uh, what he the, the guys did on Tuesday. This is why we do the recap, right? Uh, because some of these stats <laughs> aren't updated, and we set the yeah. table. So when I say yeah. Patrick Wisdom came into the game with a 140 WRC plus in the month of June, I did the recap. So you guys go, oh yeah, and he hit a home run on Tuesday or on Tuesday night. So there you go. Um, only a few players have been uh, above league average in terms of WRC plus for the Cubs in the month of June. Uh, players with at least uh, 40 plate appearances. Those are Patrick Wisdom, who hit a home run on Tuesday night. Jock Peterson, who had the RBI double on Tuesday night. Anthony Rizzo, who did not play on Tuesday night. Sergio Alcantara, who had uh, a double on Tuesday night. And that's it. 
So everybody else has been below league average. Uh, Wilson Contreras at a 91 in the month of June, uh, and then he went two for four on Tuesday night, so he will certainly still be there, or, you know, that number went up. Uh, So he's been close and had an all right month, even if below average. Uh, And then everybody else has been well below and to varying degrees. Uh, So Eric Sogard at 54 WRC+, which is pretty much how he is all the time. So he's had a June that's bad because he's bad, but it hasn't been any worse than he normally is. So that's just, he he stinks. That's who he is, and he's stunk in June. Uh, Jason Hayward, 51, so kind of similar. He's been bad, but he's been bad all year, so it hasn't been crazy. Where it gets crazy is Ian Happ, who's at a 27 WRC plus in the month of June, And Brendan, I found it pretty interesting that he did not start either of these games. Uh, He did get in there, you know, for some pinch hit spots, whatever, but didn't start either of these games heading into the off day. Probably just a reset, you know, kind of a mental break, and I I would think he'd be back out there this weekend against Los Angeles, but just interesting um, that, you know, he's obviously struggled in June, but didn't get in either of these games uh, as a starter. Chris Bryant came into Tuesday night. Again, he hit the home run. Uh, 22 WRC plus. So that is well, well, well below league average. And then bringing up in the caboose is Javi Baez, who in the month of June uh, has an 18 WRC plus. Now he was one for four uh, with an RBI on Tuesday, so it'll change a little bit, but well, well, well below league average for the month of June. And uh, some of these numbers, a 3.5% walk rate and a 43.9% strikeout rate. So, you know, you're only talking about 61-ish plate appearances. So, of course, it's a small sample. But I think, you know, just sort of digging into some of this stuff to kind of give you guys uh, a more vivid picture of the offense struggling. We all are watching this, right? Um, you know, we've seen how many games they've they've not scored, you know, more than one or two runs. So we know it, but sometimes it's just good to kind of dig into this and go, okay, where where have the main struggles been coming and, and just how bad have they been? Uh, and, you know, the key numbers here, Brendan, is that it seems uh, in June, Javi is chasing pitches out of the zone more, and he is also making uh, contact at a much lower rate than he normally would and much lower than the league average. So he's chasing more, and he's not making as much contact. Uh, so it's it's not great. And, you know, I don't know if... I, I would think if I was just speculating, and I'll reiterate that that's what I'm doing here, just speculating, I would guess that what we saw on Monday with forgetting the outs and not taking the lead off and maybe just not being dialed in, I would imagine that that is the struggles at the plate kind of being carried out onto the bases and just being frustrated, pressing, and just sort of not being there in the moment because of it. Again, that's just my speculation, but that's sort of, I, I feel like that's a pretty good guess. Uh, so that's that's the story with the offense. So again, good to see Chris with a good night on Tuesday and hopefully kind of trending that other way. Uh, but, you know, in particular, I think um, Hap and Javi really, really struggling. Um, you know, again, you have guys like Hayward and Sogard who have gotten a lot of playing time who have been struggling, but I don't really know what you're expecting out of those two guys. I think with guys like Hap and, and Javi more specifically, you're expecting more, and it's been a it's been a really rough stretch for these guys at the plate, Brendan. Yeah, Javi's had a weird season. Um, the fifty nine percent contact rates not not good. Um, you know, you want that for Javi to be at least around sixty five percent, given where he's been at in certain points of his career and the value that comes with that. So sixty five percent at minimum is usually you know the 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 asking. From Avi, I I will say though, even with fifty nine percent contact, it's not good. It, that that would qualify as the lowest in Major League Baseball. It's not insurmountable. There's issues beyond, in in my head, beyond just contact at this point. As a comparison, Patrick Wisdom only has sixty 
60% contact. And he's been at 60% contact throughout his brief stint here with the Cubs. And he has 10 home runs. So Patrick Wisdom is hitting pitches when he's making contact. And it's little contact. That's predictive of, uh, in the future, maybe of some struggles that he will inevitably have to adapt to. For Javi, he's missing pitches, and then he's also not hitting pitches hard. One key feature of his season that makes uh, very little sense to me, other than maybe it's just like a scouting issue at this point, he's been exceptionally bad against fastballs uh, every single month. He's actually the second least valuable hitter against fastballs in Major League Baseball in terms of uh, weighted runs created against against um against fastballs. So that's a huge issue for him. In May, when he was going through those spells of success, we saw, or you know, I, I saw a lot a lot of those pitches were mistake sliders. I, I anecdotally I would imagine that uh, three quarters of the home runs he hit were on mistake sliders. So he was hitting those mistake pitches and that's what you wanted Javi to do because when Javi's up there, if you throw a mistake He's typically at his best when he's hitting those mistake pitches. He was not hitting those mistake pitches in April. Now he's not hitting those mistake pitches in June. Anecdotally, I think he's getting fewer of those mistake pitches given the the high level of competition we've seen over the last few weeks. And compounded by that, and I do think this is an issue, or at least a possible issue. We'll we'll never know for these guys. But Javi, with uh, with that thumb injury, you know, he missed four days. He didn't play baseball for... Um, you know, almost a week. And so coming back and facing that level of competition while you're already struggling and trying to make adjustments and now your tempo is off and now your timing's off, it's difficult. It's really, it's really, really difficult. And I think it's definitely possible within the next few weeks, maybe it's now, maybe it's two weeks from now that Javi is going to adapt uh, again. He yeah. adapted in May. He probably will adapt again. And it's just possible, as is the case for a lot of these hitters, that this is this is what they do. They go through extreme adjustment periods, and you can't tell if it's just random or not. I don't know if this is the case for Javi. Yeah. So uh, the, the only other player that, uh, you know, I think we meant to talk about last time, and, I, and I'd like to touch on just for a second here before we set up this series uh, with the Dodgers is Wilson. And really, it's just to underscore, we've talked about this a good bit, but the last, you know, and and look, I know that that Romine got hurt, you know, so if that was their initial plan, obviously, you know, that's kind of out of their control. still a bad process, still a bad process. Yes, but guys, it's it's, it's It's not to make any excuse... um, you know, for Wilson kind of like preemptively, right? Because, and you know, like, I mean, even in June, like he's been almost a, a league average hitter, like he's been fine, right? But the the lack of a quality backup is such a disservice to him. Um, totally. And you, there, there's just no way you could convince me that it doesn't affect his work at the plate. Um, good to see him hit that home run on Tuesday. And, you know, again, like he's been fine at the plate, uh, but it just, it has to, to kill him (laughs) that they just don't have a quality backup that they need him to play so often. And we, and we've noted this plenty. Like I, I, I'm sure that if Wilson had two broken legs, he would be demanding that David Ross put him in the lineup, right? That he doesn't want to not play. But the lack of a quality backup uh, is just not good for him. It's it's not good for the team because you end up even when those guys get in there, they have not been good. They you know the the position itself has been a negative, uh, a, a sub replacement position in, in combining all of the backups that the Cubs have had so far. But it just compounds when you just don't 
trust anybody back there. You can't get any production or consistency from any backup, and you have to rely, you really have to lean on Wilson to not only command the pitching staff that he has and that has been changing, right? So he's commanding new guys basically every other start that he's out there and trying to, you know, make sure that he's calling good games, receiving good games. He's made a lot of strides over the years in terms of his framing and his receiving. So he's working on a ton of things. And he's got to go up there and be a producer in the middle of the lineup for this team. And he just does not have a serviceable backup and has not had a serviceable backup the entire season. And that's just bad news for this team. It's bad for Wilson. It's bad for this team. And it's, yeah. I don't I don't know that there's a, a good solution. You know, you see guys like, you know, that get released or whatever, and, you know, they come up in the rumors. But, you know, that's not always, you know, that's not a, a good place to be. So I don't know that they have an immediate solution, but it's just something to continue keeping an eye on because it's, it's, it's not good for the team. And it's an issue that compounds for Wilson. It, it makes, uh, it puts a very, very heavy burden on Wilson Contreras, and that is overall not a good thing for him. It's it's an oversight. I I, I think it at the in, in hindsight, of course, it's an oversight. I don't want to, you know, judge the the Romine signing at the surface because we we don't know what what they're thinking, right? We don't know all the information. That being said, they, you know, they're signing a thirty two year old catcher with a severe history of concussions who had a really really bad 2020 and there's a level of uncertainty beyond just performance due to covid in in that season they don't know if his if his if his value is reliable or not and they still went out there and they said we are going to make you Wilson Contreras is backup, the the best among the best offensive catchers in the league, and <laughs> your this, this catcher is going to bet in the middle of your order fifth. So you need you need a better insurance policy for Wilson Contreras at the end of the day, especially when you voluntarily give up Victor Caratini in in a package for Vic, and you don't get back any immediate value beyond Zach Davies. It was an issue. It was an oversight probably, and I I just. I don't agree with 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 that process, even though I'm an idiot and don't know all the details. Also, like they that they they need to do something now, fast as fast as possible. It's it's. I I get really frustrated talking about this because Jed and even in the years past, like we like we've we've talked about looking towards the future and, and being in the present and competing now, but also having that one eye to the future, as we've heard. Not having a backup this year affects 2021, but also affects your ability to project beyond 2021, 2022, 2023, and and so on. And it it affects how reliable contract extensions are and negotiations are. The Cubs backup group as a whole has accumulated zero point negative zero point seven WAR. Corey, it's it's on that's unacceptable that 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 cannot happen to go from austin romine to tony walters off the scraps to pj higgins who couldn't catch pitches during spring training and and block pitches behind the dish like no offense to him but again we're trying to give a quality insurance policy for your at times cleanup hitter your fifth hitter you need something better than than that i'm i'm very concerned and this is all also in the context of Wilson has a hamstring injury history, a, a, a borderline severe one, where he was out, you know, six plus weeks at a time earlier on three years ago. Happened again recently, and even earlier in the year, it, it it happened again. So I'm worried he is going to be shot by August due to just fatigue and and maybe you know, knock on wood, some injury exposure because he's playing so much. They need to do something now. It might be the most important thing to do uh, separately from improving the rotation if they have to. Like getting Wilson a backup is so important for this team. And I'm just genuinely sad. I think they didn't do that. They didn't, it's not fair to him even. I, if I were Wilson, I would I would be extremely upset trying to get a contract and you're forced to go out there and catch every single day because your front office that Austin Romine was your best insurance policy and you gave up a younger catcher and Vic Caratini and got nothing back in return for it so uh it it, it upsets me okay 
Uh, let's preview this four-game set against the Los Angeles Dodgers in Los Angeles. I hate this series. This is the worst series of the entire year, but I do get to go to at least one of these games, so I guess there is a silver lining. On Thursday, the first game starts. We have the... Pitching matchup for the Dodgers, not announced yet, but Zach Davies is on the mound for the Cubs, looking to rebound off that uh, tough start uh, against the Marlins. Zach Davies on the year is 4-4, four four, a 4.66 ERA. And then on Friday, by the way, that game starts at 9.10 p.m. On Friday, same start time, 9.10 p.m., we have Jake Arrieta, oh boy, on the mound for the Cubs. Dodgers have also not announced a starter for that game. Jake on the year, 5-8, and eight, a 5.45 year rate. That could be messy, guys. I'm very concerned about that start. Uh, I'm very, very concerned about that start. Um, yeah, okay. On Saturday, we have an earlier start time, a 6.15 p.m. start time. Again, Dodgers not announcing their starters, so just be in tune with that. The Cubs do have Alec Mills on the mound. Alec Mills... Has had a uh, two good starts since coming back from um, you know the injury list and and getting more opportunities here in the rotation. Mills on the year three and one at five point one eight ERA, and then on Sunday no starter for the Dodgers again. Keep in line with that. Keep checking those updates. Adbert Alzali on the Cubs on the mound for the Cubs again a four and six record a four point one nine ERA. As it stands, the Dodgers are forty four and twenty nine. The Cubs are forty one and thirty three. Still remarkable that we're eight games above five hundred in first place with all of these issues going on. So there's a lot to track this series, right? You just had a two game set. Now you have an off day. You have all these different trends to monitor. Is Ian Happ going to get playing time? Uh, how is Patrick Wisdom's knee? What's the deal with Jake Arietta? Can he get through four innings? What about Adverse Blister? All, all of this, right? Uh, how is Javi going to look? And Chris Bryant continue some of the positive trends we saw in that last start. For me, it's survival, man. That's really what it is. Uh, let's get through this West Coast trip. Let's get healthy. Let's get rested. Let's take maybe a game or two at the, at the very least. And uh, let's, let's protect this bullpen at all costs. That's my main concern. You look at this rotation and even Adberg, given some of the uh, blister issues, you don't know how deep he can go. I want this bullpen protected, and that's my main concern. The one thing that we do know, uh, Trevor Bauer pitches on Wednesday, so the Cubs will not okay. see him. So well, that's you know, nice. Assume Kershaw, Bueller, maybe Tony Gonsolin, et cetera. Right. but you will not see Trevor Bauer. Um, yeah, Brendan, this is, uh, let's just try not to die here in this series. Uh, the, you know, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I like this, is, you know, I, I believe the Dodgers are going to be getting Max Muncie back this week and Cody Bellinger and, Sorry. you know, like good luck to Jake Arrieta. I, I mean, may, you know, even like Zach Davies was not great in that last outing, obviously against the Marlins. So good luck to the both of them. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. This is a tough road trip every year. It's very tough to go out and play four games in LA, especially you've already swept this team at home. Uh, so you've done well against LA, but it's, they're, they're a tough team to beat repeatedly like that. And the, I, you know, anecdotally, they don't ever play well, <laughs> you know, at Dodger Stadium. It's a tough trip. And given the particular struggles of some of these pitchers in terms of command, hitting their spots, keeping the ball in the ballpark, etc., not the lineup you want to be going up against. I, I mean, look, I, I, I hope that Arietta is able to kind of reset some of these things and have a solid outing, but I just, this seems like, you know, throwing him to the Sharks, right? Like just what we saw in, <laughs> in that no outing choice. against the Marlins and some of these recent outings, you're trying to envision him going up against Mookie Betts and Max Muncy and Cody Bellinger. It just does not it's not an enticing prospect. So he does like Los Angeles, though. I mean, he does have a history of doing special things. He there, does you know, have no, a no history hitters, of doing you know, some special things in Los Angeles. Saying, yes, you know, um, I, I you know I might I might be there. I might give him some positive words of encouragement. So, right. You know, yeah. Well, if you guys hear that somebody got arrested because they were telling Jake Arrieta uh, repeatedly to throw his sinker up in the zone, you'll know it was Brendan. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's probably, probably. So I, look, I, it, 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 it's 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 it. This this series has a similar feel to me for basically a lot of this 
month, this schedule, and, you know, really when they headed out to the West Coast last time to play the Giants and then the Padres for seven straight games. It's just about surviving. You don't you don't want to be uh, inherently pessimistic or, you know, sort of laying the groundwork for a bad series because, again, you know, this Cubs team has beaten a lot of really good teams. They swept the Dodgers before. They've already shown that they can beat this team. Uh, but it's just sort of a kind of realistic approach. Like, this is a tough road trip. They are about to go on a long, tough road trip against some good teams and that's just the reality of it. And again, like the, the the threshold here is just no disasters, right? Try to pick up at least a game in this series. A split would be wonderful. And just continue getting guys healthy, continue guys, you know, getting on the right track here and just no disasters. It's the same as how I felt when they went out to San Francisco and San Diego, and they ended up winning that San Diego series. They beat you, Darvish, and they ended that road trip on a really nice note. And so hopefully they can do the same here. Um, and that's that's it's gonna be hard. really where I'm at. This is just a tough road <laughs> trip. And, and again, I, I don't say that to be pessimistic, but more to just manage expectations. It's okay if this series doesn't go well, that's fine. You're, you're just projecting. You're just telling yourself this. Well, I mean, but of you're, course, you're I'm, right. you know, if they lose games, I'm miserable every time. They could be 100 and 0, Brendan. And if they lose to go 101, I would be miserable about that one. So, yeah, it's a of little course, bit of yeah, projection. But in the grand scheme of things, right, it is okay if this is a rough series, right? On paper, the pitching matchups, like no Hendricks, right? It's, it's not great. And so if it's not great, that's fine. It's it's fine. Really, I'm fine, Brandon, right? You guys don't <laughs> I mean, believe me okay. at all. But you're really, you're um, but, but no, really, like like it is it is fine. They're gonna be, you know, we'll see what happens um, <laughs> you know, tomorrow is in it? terms yeah. of, you know, how everything is with the division once they get to LA because the Cubs are off. Um, but they're in first place right now. It's it is what it is. So just get through this series and just keep trying to get through this road trip and the end of this month of June, get guys back and put yourselves in a position to get a lighter portion of the schedule, go on a run and do your thing. That's all it's about. So uh, that's really where I'm at. And, you know, I think like in in terms of just particular things, yeah, I think Alzali, you know, obviously you're watching him um, and seeing what he's able to do in, in this second start now intrigued, you know, like Mills certainly earned himself another, you know, start in this uh, rotation. And, you know, if he can string together another nice outing, you know, that would be really big for the team here. And then, you know, just the offense, you know, just wanting to see guys like Baez get going. Like I said, Hap didn't get any of these starts uh, in these two games against the Indians. So curious to see when he draws into the lineup and, and just how he does, you know, him and Javi in particular have really, really struggled um, in the month of June, KB too. Uh, but, you know, obviously, hopefully uh, that game on Tuesday kind of sparks that. But, you know, kind of looking at, at Hap and, and Javi and I guess KB in particular, you know, kind of like they it's been a really rough stretch for them and, and just hoping that they can sort of start to show those signs that they're coming out of it, seeing the ball better and, you know, just putting together better uh, at bats. And, and, and that's... Uh, really what it is but uh yeah we you know we've we've had this portion of the schedule bookmarked so let's just uh you know day by day we'll take we'll take it and 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 try to win some games here but uh you know we know that this is uh kind of a a rough stretch so uh we're we're kind of prepared for that and and we'll hope for the best so i think that's what we have for you uh we will talk to you on sunday after a, a four game set there in la a lot of pressure on Brendan. You know, th- this wasn't the best uh, homestand for me, but I feel like I've done a pretty good job since I've been back here in Chicago. Got some W's. Um, you know, I-, I think I'm doing my part. So, you know, Brendan's making the decision to head over to Dodger Stadium, which is not something yeah, I, mean, I ever recommend. Uh, pray, pray for me. Yeah, yeah kudos to you. Uh, so, you know, now kind of, you know, I'm off the hook here. So don't don't come yelling at me. It, this is on Brendan here to kind of get the job done here. TCB for the weekend. Um, that's on Brendan. So good luck to you. You picked a very interesting series to, <laughs> to um, try to try to stake your claim here. But uh 
yeah, enjoy the off day, take a little breather, um, and then we will, uh, then you got to get ready for some some late night stuff, late night baseball there out in LA for some of these games, uh, and we will see how it goes. But whether it is good or bad, we will be back with you on Sunday to break it all down, uh, talk about the highs and the lows, and then of course uh, get ready for uh, a pivotal, I suppose, series with the Milwaukee Brewers uh, to sort of see some action there at the top of this NL Central. So as always, thank you guys for listening to and supporting the Cubs-related podcast. We appreciate all of that. We will talk to you again on Sunday evening. And as always, go Cubs.